Hello and welcome to the NFL Blitz as we go into week 10 of the NFL season and hopefully this week's episode will actually be uploaded on time. You'll notice I've had problems with that particularly last week and with the fact there was no week 7 episode because of an illness. Great. Came back and my throat was really sore and so the idea of doing a podcast for what lasts around one and a half hours didn't really appeal to me. To be honest that wasn't really top of the agenda for some weird reason. But I'm back now ready to talk about week 10 and all of the games that happened in week 10. Yes, all of them and that means... That one too. I have many opinions on that. Some of my opinions originally involved swear words, but I'm going to cut those ones out during this podcast and just focus on the non-sweary ones. Well, the sweary ones will be there, I'll just take out the swear words, but mm, many, many opinions on that. I mentioned this a while ago, but recently I've been reading a book called The League by John Eisenberg. It's a fantastic book, and it talks about how the founding members of the NFL got together and and created the NFL and how they slowly built it from a, a league that was ridiculed quite a lot into the powerhouse that it is today. It's a fantastic read. I really, really recommend it. And whilst reading it, I noticed a line that really stood out to me. So I'd just like to read you a very minor excerpt from the book. It comes on page 162 and it's during a meeting about rule changes that needed to be implemented for the 1938 NFL season and sort of addressing the issues that were plaguing pro football and making the game less appealing to fans. Quote, the officiating also needed to be addressed, Hallis said. The owners strived to pick competent officials and educate them about the rules, but almost every game was marked by disputes and controversies. That was bad for the league. Fans needed to have faith that the officiating was unbiased and competent, unquote. Yeah! Thank God the NFL learnt its lessons about needing unbiased, competent officials. We wouldn't... We wouldn't want them, would we? We wouldn't want loads of games being plagued by awful officiating. That would be terrible. <sighs> what you realise reading this book is that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Really, that, that quote has never really held more true, in my opinion. Anyway, welcome to the show today. I hope you're doing well. I hope this podcast finds you in good health, as per usual. Remember to go to anchor.fm forward slash the NFL Blitz to find out where you can play this podcast. You can also play it there or you can keep doing what you're doing because you're currently listening to this podcast. I don't know if that's news to you. And remember to go to the Sports Blitz for writing about the NFL and other sports. Week 10 power rankings are already up on the website. And as well as that, recently I've done a following on Yon Berlin article and an article about Xavi going back to Barcelona. If you're a fan of of the other football, the association variety of football. So yeah, week 10 was something. There was a lot of something. I mentioned this in the Power Ranking article, but 
it was sort of very strange to do the rankings this week because all of the big sides were bad. All of the good sides, I should say, were bad. And it was it was really weird for me to try and sort of order how bad their losses were. Some of them were kind of bad but understandable when you look at the circumstances. We'll get into that when we talk about Arizona's loss to Carolina. And then some of them were just stupid like the first two games we'll be talking about in the show today. So, without further ado, let's get into the first game. Let's get into... It, it was a toss-up between two games in particular to take the number one slot in the running order this week. And I wanted to go with one of the games that was a, a big shock. And really one that can't be explained by any sort of outside reasons, like Arizona. Or the fact they were playing a good side, like Los Angeles Chargers or Cleveland... So, the game I've gone for, Tampa Bay Buccaneers 19, Washington football team 29. Eh? What? How? Okay, so the how's not actually too hard to explain. Tom Brady essentially was dreadful. 23 for 34, 220 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, a pass rating of 80.5, and to be honest... Those interceptions were bad. He had an absolutely rotten game pretty much throughout. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers only put up 19 points against Washington. And last year, we would have sort of shrugged that off because the Washington defense last year was really good. This year, they have been far more suspect. And so, it just was a really, truly bad day for the entire Tampa Bay Buccaneers, nothing went right offensively and defensively. We think of Tampa as having one of the best defences in the NFL and yet Washington put up 29 points on them. And for the first time in quite a while, Taylor Heineke had a really good game. Heineke Hive! 26 for 32, 256 yards, one touchdown, a passer rating of 110.4. He played phenomenally, he played really, really well. And he really was the main driving factor, not really surprising for quarterback, behind Washington getting so many points and ultimately beating Tampa Bay in the end. And of course, the other thing we've got to talk about with regards to the positives from Washington, that drive in the fourth quarter that sealed the game for them, which was when they were leading 23-19. It was something like a 10-minute drive that pretty much ran the clock down to around 20 seconds to go and also made it impossible for Tampa to get back into the game at that point. That was incredible. It was a really, really good drive. It burned pretty much all the clock. It was great quarterbacking. It was great coaching. From the game perspective, there's not really anything to complain about when it comes to how Washington performed their defense completely shut down Brady and the Buccaneers their offense was able to overcome one of the more stingier defenses in the NFL of course that's not all of the news that came out of this game and the other big story that came out of this was way worse for Washington to the point where they'd probably exchange that win for it Chase Young out for the season he has torn his ACL Chase Young is not only the best player on that Washington defense, he's the best player 
on the entire Washington team. And it's hard to know how an already suspect defence this year is going to cope without its leader and without its best player. I'm going to guess not too positively. But a win is a win and it means that Washington are now on three wins for the season. Which, when your team sort of struggles with wins, you're going to obviously accept that. Losing Chase Young, though, is absolutely devastating for this side. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, one of many sides who tripped up against a team they really should have been beating quite comfortably all day, every day. We'll get on to another team who really should have won their game in a bit. Actually, multiple sides, but I'm just... I'm still sort of... Trying to cope with one of the games in particular. And you can probably guess which one it is. But that's for later. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 6-3. and three. They're first in the NFC South. The Washington football team are 3-6. and six. They're third in the NFC East. Baltimore Ravens 10. Miami Dolphins 22. And I'll be honest, I was so ready to laugh at this way, way, way more. I was so excited to, even on last week's episode, I sort of gave a little chuckle. And I was so ready to, you know, really slate the Ravens for it. And I can't, because a different team drew with the Detroit Lions. So, great. But that's for later on. Now is for the Miami Dolphins, who picked up their third win of the season. For the first time this season, it feels impressive. Actually, it did... Who did they beat in their first game? It wasn't... Was it New England? So that's kind of impressive. But it feels like, you know, for the first time in a long time, there's actual faith about the Dolphins' projects. And the reason for that is because at the start of the year, we said, well, clearly their defence is the thing that's going to take them to the promised land. If they do get in the playoffs this year, which was seen as somewhat likely, it's going to be on the back of that incredible defence. And finally... The defence are standing up and making themselves count for the Miami Dolphins. Obviously, last time out, I know it was against the Houston Texans, but they only conceded nine points the time before that. They had a really impressive start against the Buffalo Bills before they trailed off. And now this time, they've gone up against Baltimore Ravens, one of the best offences in the NFL. And they shut them down defensively. Obviously, the key highlight of the game being Xavier Howard's forced fumble returned 49 yards for a touchdown. They dominated against the Ravens' offense, one of the better offenses in the NFL, as I've already said. Lamar Jackson, he's not, you know, the best passer in the league, but he is a good passer, and people should probably acknowledge that more. But he only had a 73.6 passer rating. And even on the ground, he only rushed for 39 yards. Devonta Freeman only rushed for 35 yards. And Le'Veon Bell, three carries, one yard. He has since been released. And he updated his Twitter bio after being released with hashtag old, hashtag failure, hashtag not worth. Put a load of hashtags. And at the end, he put anything I'm missing. Well, the thing he was missing was hashtag unemployed because he's been cut. Oh, God, has it all gone downhill since his days with Steelers. There was a post online this week where they, whoever wrote it pointed out that he had more rushing yards in his last season with the Steelers than he has had since total. 
So well done, Levion, on what was a simply phenomenal business decision, taking less money to go to the New York Jets and ruining his entire career. Super. But, you know, this is not the Ravens' story. To be honest, of all the games this week where, you know, a heavily favoured team lost to an underdog, this is one of the ones I'm not really willing to react to, or at least overreact to, because they just came up against a really good defence, and and that defence shut them down. And that's sort of a key thing for me for Baltimore. This is Miami's game. This is Miami's game. Tua didn't play the majority of snaps in this game, but when he did play, he played phenomenally well. 8 13, 158 yards, a passer rating of 104. Jacoby Brissett, like I said, took most of the snaps in this game. He went 11 for 23, 156 yards, a passer rating of 70.2. It is... The first game in a while that gives you hope for Tua's future. And yes, he has to put in more than one good performance every 10 games or whatever. But it's something. And they're not going to get to Sean Watson, at least until the off-season. So something is all we really have to celebrate at the moment. And it is worth celebrating that something, at least. Albert Wilson, really good day. Isaiah Ford, the same as well. Jalen Waddle, you know, he's, he's improving as the weeks go along. I still think they should have taken Devonta Smith off the very early evidence we've been presented through the opening 10 weeks of the two's career. But they, they played well. They played well enough to beat one of the best sides in the NFL. And this was a weird week for the AFC North, and we'll get into why that week's weird. A draw against the Detroit Lions, Jesus Christ. But... Still, Tua had an injury partway through the game. That's concerning for the future, obviously. But, as he said in his post-game presser, any win is good, and this was a really good win for the Miami Dolphins, and it's just worth celebrating. The future comes later. This was good. The Baltimore Ravens are 6-3, their first in the AFC North. The Miami Dolphins are 3-7, their third in the AFC East. <sighs> okay, I'm now going to talk about the next game in the running order. <sighs> Detroit Lions 16, Pittsburgh Steelers 16 after overtime. The first tie of the season... And I have a lot of opinions on the matter. <sighs> First of all, I think it's fair to point out that the Detroit Free Press have absolutely nailed it on Twitter. After the game had finished, they obviously were covering the game from the Lions' perspective, but after the game finished on Twitter, they put up a tweet, final, nobody wins, literally nobody and that is completely correct. The Lions didn't win. The Steelers didn't win. The people watching didn't win. Frankly, the people not watching also didn't win because they had to hear about this game as well, and that was bad. The only people who did win were people who didn't have any exposure to this nonsense. Even Scott Hansen on Red Zone after the game was going, It's over! It's finally over! We can not talk about it! Hooray! And yeah, that that was the correct way to react to this game. It I've been following the NFL 
for 11 years now. I think this might be the worst game I've ever watched. I didn't watch, obviously, the Dolphins-Steelers game from 2007, was it? Because that is before 11 years ago. But this honestly might be the worst game I've ever watched in 11 years of following the NFL. And I don't mean in the sense that... You know, it was a depressing result, even though it was a very depressing result. And I don't mean in the sense of it was just, like, the worst sort of game to sit through. Though it probably is. But, I mean, in terms of how the teams played, in terms of the actual quality of the football presented, this is the worst game I've ever watched. They did not look like NFL teams out there. In fact, I, I, you know, I've started watching more college football this year. Not a lot, but some. And I can say I've not seen a college football game that bad this season. Like, in terms of quality. The quality of the college football players was better. I should say I didn't watch that Illinois-Penn State game, so I'm not including that. But that's probably the only game this year that had lower quality in it in, like, the world of football outside of high school i've watched some cfl games they were better in quality honestly i've the only thing i can compare it to is watching amateur american football which i did sometimes when i was a student of the university of york because they had an american football team but the thing is they're just students taking time off from their degrees to to enjoy american football and you know they were trying their hardest these are multi-millionaire athletes and they should be doing a million billion times better. It was truly, truly bad. Both teams were just pathetic in this game. In a year in which the Lions have not won in nine games now, they've played nine games, they've not won in one of them, this honestly might be the worst performance they've put together. They should have comfortably destroyed the Steelers. And if they'd shown up with an ounce of competence, they would have comfortably destroyed the Steelers. I, to talk about the Pittsburgh perspective to start off with, I never want to see Mason Rudolph start for the Steelers ever again. I am more than fed up with just how ridiculously terrible of a quarterback he is. I don't care who the Steelers have to start to avoid starting Mason Rudolph. It is worth it because watching Rudolph now is just so frustrating. We know he is a truly terrible quarterback and is not fit to even warm the bench of an NFL side. But to see the Steelers constantly trot him out when Ben can't play is just beyond infuriating. At least if it was Dwayne Haskins, you could say, well, it's his first year of the team. He's not entirely used to the playbook. Uh, you know, it's always worth a punt. With Mason Rudolph, we know everything about him now. And we know he is just not good enough. And yet, we're still playing him. And I'll be honest, I don't even care. If the Steelers had won this, it would have been the same thing. He went 30 for 50. One touchdown, one interception, a pass rating of 70.6. The first drive for the Steelers was competent. Every drive after that was dreadful. And Mason Rudolph was the worst player on the Steelers. And he is the primary reason the Steelers didn't win. Because if they'd had a competent quarterback in, if they'd had Ben Roethlisberger, this game wouldn't have been close. And instead they had to play Mason. And it was a nightmare. 
And I know what you're thinking, and it is fair to point out, that he wasn't the only stealer who screwed up, because frankly, the whole side played ridiculously terribly. There, there are no redeeming players here. By the way, I, I want to say before we move on, Mason Rudolph's throwing style is just like so beyond confusing to me. Like, every time he throws the ball, he looks like he's throwing it into a very strong headwind. Like, it always gets somewhere near the target. Like, it's not like he's throwing it and it's like 20 metres away. But, still, it, it always looks like he's just throwing into a headwind. And, of course, it is worth mentioning, most of his throws were inaccurate. Like, they were always like, I don't know who he's throwing to in practice. But, I am 90% convinced it's like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Yanis Antetokounmpo, and that six foot nine striker who, who played for Solihull in the FA Cup this week. That's a reference not many people are going to get. But his, his throws were always like way, way, way too high, or just, just bad. But anyway, as I was saying, he's not the only player who screwed up this week for the Pittsburgh Steelers, because... The Steelers had two really good chances to win this in overtime, and Mason Rudolph was doing just about enough to, to get the Steelers moving forward. And more to the point, Najee Harris was doing enough to move the Steelers forward. He was the only player who, you know, even deserves like a, a 6 out of 10. And then, on two separate drives, Deontay Johnson, who I don't know if he knows how his hands fully work, fumbled the ball, and then Pat Freemuth, as time was close to expiring, with the Steelers very close to field goal range, fumbled as well. If he'd hold on to the if he'd held on to the ball there, Steelers may just have enough time to get Boswell out onto the field, despite the ball, get Boswell out onto the field and kick the game-winning field goal. But no, he fumbled it. He did the one thing the Steelers absolutely couldn't afford at that point, and fumbled the game away, and ended it in a tie. Both of the fumbles were just terrible to the point where if I'd been recording this on Sunday night I would have been saying get rid of both of them immediately but it's still even though you know time has moved on and we're now I'm recording this on Wednesday now that I'm sat here on Wednesday I still I can't help but look and go Jesus Christ that is so beyond incompetent you know there are people uh, in the Steelers somebody who genuinely think that Pat Freemuth is better than Kyle Pitts Huh? I I don't know where to go with a lot of this, but for the Steelers, this was truly abysmal. For the Lions, it might be even worse, because the Steelers did everything in their powers to hand the Lions victory in this game. Frankly, like I said, if the Lions had just shown up and played football, they would have won it quite comfortably, and yet they couldn't. It's quite clear that, you know, I've, I've been quite a supporter of Javid Goff in the past, I think this is the game that broke my support of him because it's quite clear that the, the Lions just don't want to put the game in his hands. They gave DeAndre Swift the ball 33 times. He ran for 130 yards, which is only 3.9 yards per carry, but he was the, the thing that was trying to shove them over that line to victory. And he, he just couldn't quite push enough. And, you know... He he was the best of a bad bunch, kind of like Najee Harris for the Steelers. He's the only one who even is close to worthy of like 5, 6 out of 10, whatever. The Lions clearly don't trust Javid Goff, and to be honest, this game also didn't give them many reasons to trust him. 14 for 25, 114 yards, which is fewer yards passing than DeAndre Swift ran. 
great. 67.8 passer rating. There is no reason to have any faith in this line side for them to win a game all year because this is this was the easiest game they've had all year. And I know we touched it touched on it back in the day, but they should have beaten the Ravens and, and they would have if not for that fall. But in this game, Jesus for Steelers gave them every opportunity they had to win and and they, they just couldn't do it. The Lions are not going to go 0 17 this year because they've drawn a game. Their worst record now would be 0 16 and 1. But that's the only good news from this game. They really should have won. They really should have won. They should have got their first win of the season, but their own incompetence going the way. The Steelers are on Sunday Night Football next week, playing the Los Angeles Chargers. And usually I'd be disappointed about that as a Steelers fan. Living in the UK means I can't watch the game unless I want to completely ruin my sleep cycle. But to be honest, I'm fine with that. I don't want to watch the game, to be honest. This game has sapped all of my energy for the Steelers this season. It was ridiculous. And if I ever see Mason Rudolph playing in a Steelers shirt again, I will... Just, I don't know, just be incredibly sad. It's now time to do the update on the standings that I never want to do because I have to say three numbers. Not because like, I'm lazy, but Ty's just dreadful. Don't like Ty's. The Detroit Lions are 0-8-1. They're fourth in the NFC North. The Pittsburgh Steelers are 5-3-1. They're second in the AFC North. Could have gone top of the AFC North this week if they'd beaten the Lions, but no. No, we don't we don't get that. We don't deserve it. Cleveland Browns seven, New England Patriots forty-five. Wow. It's been a great week for for the AFC North, hasn't it? The Ravens lost to the Dolphins, the Steelers drew with the Lions, the Browns were completely blown out of the water by the Patriots. The Bengals were the best team this week, and they won a bye week. In fact, to be honest, I'm surprised they didn't get completely annihilated by the bye week, considering how the rest of the AFC North did. But, yeah, I know the Browns are the Browns, and the Patriots are the Patriots, but still, shouldn't have ended like this at all. The Browns actually took a 7-0 lead in this game. You might forget that. Um, Baker Mayfield finding Austin Hooper on a really good fourth and goal play. The rest of the game after that was not as impressive for the Browns. And I guess we need to start with Baker Mayfield. Because Baker Mayfield did not have a good game. 11 for 21, 73 yards. 73 yards off 21 attempts. That's 3.5 yards per attempt. Let that sink in. For comparison, by the way, in the worst quarterback game of the week, Jared Goff had 4.6 yards per attempt, and Mason Rudolph had 4.8. Baker Mayfield had 3.5. That bad. I'll also mention that Matt Ryan had 5.6 yards per attempt for reasons that will become clear later on. 11 for 21, 73 yards, one touchdown, one interception, a pass rating of 56.3. And by the way, we should say that that interception was on Baker. It was it was dreadful. Kyle Duggar, by the way, was the one who caught it. If I remember correctly, Kyle Duggar was the guy from Lenore Vine. Because I'm pretty sure when we did the draft review, I talked about all the players who had been drafted out of Lenore Vine, and there, there weren't many. But Baker... 
Baker hasn't looked very good this year. He, he's had a few good games. And they're games that give me some sort of reason to to believe in him going forward. He had a good game against the Chargers. Chargers have a really good defence. He had a good game against the Cardinals. Cardinals have a really good defence. He had a good game against Cincinnati. I mean, it's a rival, so, you know. There's that. But for the most part, he's just not been that good. And this is the problem he has with this tendency to have these, these sort of games from time to time. And the problem is, his stats overall this year don't make for good reading. He's 22nd in yards and 25th in quarterback rating, which is ESPN's version of passer rating. I, I use passer rating because that's what I've always used. I don't really see the need to change, but ESPN used quarterback rating. It's out of 100. He's got 42.9, which is 25th in the league and so once again it's led to the question of whether the Browns should be going forward with Baker Mayfield as their starting quarterback if you compare Baker's stats from his first year to his his last season and to be honest to the start of this season they're not particularly that different he had a down year in 2019 which he improved as he's improved upon but 2018, he had a pass rating of 93.7. 2021, he has a pass rating of 95.7. That's that's not good. Last year, he had a pass rating of 95.9. So, I, it, it is worth mentioning that whilst his pass rating has been stable in those three years, his quarterback rate, which, as I mentioned, is what his BN use, has drastically fallen this season his his pass rating was actually going up year on year 51.2 in 2018 54.4 2019 65.5 2020 and it's now dropped to that aforementioned 42.9 so if you use quarterback rating this season has been incredibly concerning there are a lot of potential quarterbacks on the market veteran quarterbacks who will be entering free agency this year i'll be honest if the browns can pick up one of the better ones maybe they do move on from baker i don't find it an urgent problem personally because like i said he's had reasonable games this season and you know he's seemingly a good leader for that brown side obj controversy aside but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of torn on the issue. And I know how saying, oh, they should keep him would come across as a fan of a rival. But I, I genuinely am torn on the matter. I came in with a fairly clear mindset of what I was going to say. And when I've started looking at the stats whilst recording this and going, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure. That 3.5 average against the Patriots was ridiculous. Really could go either way, but it really does depend on who is available. The, the draft class this year is not looking good overall, especially when compared to last year's quarterback draft class. It's not the urgent priority for me, but if they can upgrade there, they absolutely should. And they should be looking at if they can upgrade there as opposed to going, well, clearly it's not a problem, let's just focus on other areas. Anyway, we'll move on, because whilst... 
it's fair to attack Baker for how he did in this game. It is also worth pointing out that New England Patriots defense have been phenomenal through parts of this season. And they dominated in this game. They looked fantastic. They looked like the old Patriots defense. And if you remember Bill Belichick, former defense coordinator, he knows how to build these good defenses. And he's done so once again. The, the, the defense for the Patriots, it was phenomenal. And offensively, they put up 45 points. And the offense is looking like it's getting stronger. Mac Jones, another great game. 19 for 23, 198 yards. Three touchdowns, no interceptions, pass rating of 142.1. And he made some really impressive throws. The first two touchdowns in particular, they were fantastic. He made a couple of really good sideline throws as well. Happed out by good wide receiver play as well. Kendrick Bourne had a really good game. We'll get on to somebody else who had a good game in the wide receiver department later on. And I also want to mention Ramondre Stevenson. You might remember he was getting a lot of buzz in preseason. He was a fourth round pick in this draft. And he, he did really impressively through parts of preseason. And they were really excited for how he could do. And he sort of had a, a slow start to his NFL career. But this was his real first impressive game in the NFL. 20 carries, 100 yards, 2 touchdowns. He played phenomenally as well and of course we can't leave this game without talking about Jacoby Myers because he had 49 yards off four receptions but more importantly than that he got his first touchdown as an NFL player Woo! he's finally done it congratulations Jacoby obviously drafted back in 2019 and he's finally got a touchdown and everything and it seems like it seems like Jacoby Myers is quite well liked within the Patriots organization because pretty much everyone came to congratulate him there were players leaving the bench everyone was hugging him they were clearly over the moon for him and you know that's really nice to see so congratulations to Jacoby by the way there was another touchdown where the team was celebrating and they accidentally ran into the cameraman, no, was it, no, it wasn't a cameraman, was he an audio guy? He, he was either a cameraman or one of the guys who hold them weird microphone things that look like satellite dishes. They ran into him, they noticed that they had done that and they apologised and, you know, lifted him up and made sure he was okay. So that was really nice of them as well. So yeah, all in all, a really good day for the New England Patriots. The Cleveland Browns are 5-5, five and five. they're 4th in the AFC North. The New England Patriots are 6-4, and four. they're 2nd in the AFC East. Carolina Panthers 34, Arizona Cardinals 10, and of course, we have to start with the Panthers, and one Panther in particular, Amir Abdullah, what a game for him, 9 carries, 20, okay no, we're going to start with the return of Cam Newton, Cam Newton re-signing with the Panthers this week, obviously. Sam Darnold out with an injury. They needed a backup quarterback for PJ Walker, and in, if you watch this game, then it seemed like PJ Walker is the guy they're going to roll with for the most part. But it was nice for them to bring back Cam Newton. It was a bit of a weird breakup, if you remember correctly. I was, I was going back through my old notes, and I remember picking out that... The Panthers had done like a greatest Panther of all time poll just before they released Newton and they didn't put Newton's name on it. It was, it was a really weird sort of breakup and that, that sort of symbolised it for me. But 
it is so nice to see him back with Carolina Panthers, if only for this sort of like short period of time. And of course, he celebrated correctly as well. The opening touchdown of the game was a Cam Newton run into the end zone and he went, I'm back! And yeah, it was just, it was really nice to see. I, I, I really enjoyed it, to be honest. He also, he did throw, he went three for four and had one touchdown. A really good throw, actually, to Robbie Anderson in, at the side of the end zone. It was it was really well placed. Credit to him. So yeah, it was it was a love it was lovely to see Cam Newton back. He also had fourteen yards off three carries, so also good. It's very nice to see him back in a Panthers uniform because that's where he sort of belongs. The Patriots stint was weird, not like not like a major failure, but it was just it was just it was just a bit odd, to be honest. But anyway. He, he wasn't the starting quarterback for most of the game. P.J. Walker was. And P.J. Walker... Yeah. 22 for 29, 167 yards, an interception, a pass rate of 74.9. Yeah, sure, whatever. The main news, of course, for Carolina, Christian McCaffrey is back. And he had a really good game. 13 carries, 95 yards uh, on the ground, along with 66 yards through the air. And if you remember how this season started, it's very clear that the Panthers need McCaffrey. And once again, they get McCaffrey back, and suddenly they know how to play football games again, so that's good. And yeah, he had a phenomenal game. He was, of course, the Panthers' main man on offense. And the Panthers were able to go up 23-0 at the break, and they pretty much coasted from there, of course. The, the weird thing in the second half is that the Panthers scored a touchdown up, 23 to 3 which sent them up 29 3 and of course to make it a 28 point game for touchdowns they decided to go for two and usually that would be the weirdest two point attempt in the week because they pretty much already won the game but it wasn't for for another reason and we'll get on to that later on the cardinals meanwhile they showed their injuries this week. Last week against the 49ers, they won in spite of their injuries. And and they were probably a bit lucky. But this time out, against a really strong defense, it just wasn't going to happen. Colt McCoy had an awful game. James Conner, the top rusher with only 39 yards. You know, nothing really got going for them on offense until it was far too late. But, you know, that's what you expect when a lot of your first... Stringers are missing. Carla Murray is apparently close to being back in the starting lineup. I'm not worried about them. They're still eight and two. And for me, at the moment, they're still the favourites to finish first in the NFC. I don't really see a side who are quite as good as them. I would usually say Tampa, but you know, Tampa lost to Washington, so maybe not. The Carolina Panthers are five and five. They're third in the NFC South. The Arizona Cardinals are eight and two. They're first in the NFC West. Minnesota Vikings 27, Los Angeles Chargers 20, and yeah, another one of the many surprising games in the NFL this season. Did you know the Vikings are the only side who have been at least seven points up in every game they've played this season? Every single game this year the Vikings have played, they've been up at some point at least seven points. No other team in the NFL have managed that, the Vikings are four and five. Welcome to the league. Hope you have fun whilst you're here. Makes no sense. 
it was quite a slow starting game, to be honest. Neither side could really find their feet. But the Vikings slowly started to grow into the game. The first real note I had from from this was the really impressive interception from Eric Kendricks. I don't really think it was Herbert's fault. It was on target. It was going to his intended receiver. But Kendricks got in the way and made a really impressive grab. And it really set up the main theme for me from this entire game, which was how impressive the Vikings' defense was. They seemed to have quite an easy time pressuring Justin Herbert. I don't know if that was on the Vikings' D-line or on the Chargers' O-line, but it was really good. And to be honest, the Vikings did put up a really impressive defensive performance. Obviously, this is Mike Zimmer's territory, and it's what the Vikings should expect them to excel at. But it was a really impressive performance against one of the best offences in the NFL. It deserves a lot of credit. Of course, we are going to talk about the Vikings' offence, because they did put up 27 points against a really good Chargers defence. Then, we really want to be talking about one person and one person only, and that was Justin Jefferson. He had a game. Dalvin Cook did play well as well, but Justin Jefferson... 143 yards receiving off nine receptions and some of them were not the easiest catchers to pull off and yet he managed to do so. It was a really, really good performance and he deserves so much praise. He didn't get a touchdown in the end, which was quite surprising. Tyler Conklin got both of Minnesota's receiving touchdowns, but still, it was an absolutely phenomenal performance from Justin Jefferson. He did better than the other Justin in this game, Justin Herbert who went 20-34, 195 yards, one touchdown, one interception, which, I, as I said, wasn't really on him. 72.5 passive rating. The Vikings shut him down. It was a really good defensive performance from the Vikings. It's what gave them the win in the end. And who knows? They're clearly, with that start I told you at the start, they're clearly a good side who can put in good performances. If they do that consistently, they're the playoff side. And a good playoff side of that. But... Consistency is key, and currently the Vikings do not have that. Hopefully, though, for their sakes, this is a building block for the rest of the season. The Minnesota Vikings are 4-5. and five. They're second in the NFC North. The Los Angeles Chargers are 5-4. and four. They're second in the AFC West. Okay, it's time to pick up the pace as we go through the other games of the NFL, starting with New Orleans Saints 21, Tennessee Titans 23. I, at first, was kind of unimpressed with how the Titans did in this game because remember that the Saints are starting Trevor Simeon at quarterback. And, of course, they only won by two points in the end. But bearing in mind that this is still a Titans side without Derrick Henry, it's, it's a really impressive win. Trevor Simeon and Ryan Tannehill both had really good games. Simeon, 19 for 34, 298 yards, two touchdowns, a pass rating of 104.8. Ryan Tannehill, meanwhile, 19 for 27, 213 yards, one touchdown, a pass rating of 105.9. Congratulations to Mark Ingram, by the way, on becoming the Saints' all-time leading rusher, overtaking Deuce McAllister. Yes, that legend. <laughs> Saints have never really been great at producing running backs, but, you know, Ingram's good. And Ingram did that, having spent a large amount of his career away from the Saints. So, good for him. Tennessee now are starting to rely on Tannehill more. Their running game wasn't great in this. It's almost like they've lost Derrick Henry or something. Dante Foreman, 11 carries, 30 yards. Adrian Peterson, 8 carries, 21 yards. Yeah, not great. But Dante Foreman did at least uh, get 48 yards receiving. 
And like I said, they did just about enough to beat the Saints in this game. I don't know where they're going to be going forward still, because obviously the loss of Derrick Henry is, I think, the most devastating loss any team could have in the NFL. But still, they, they put together an impressive performance here. It was just about enough. And we'll talk about what that means for them in the power rankings later on. Though, by the way, I've said it, you can probably guess. The New Orleans Saints are 5-4. They're second in the NFC South. The Tennessee Titans are 8-2. They're first in the AFC South. Jacksonville Jaguars 17, Indianapolis Colts 23. I'll be honest, there are a few games this week in the league that I am less enthusiastic about than this because, yeah, yeah, sure. James Robinson, you know, he was, he was okay. Jamal Agnew, 79 yards off three carries, which was interesting. Trevor Lawrence played bad, Carson Wentz played a bit better. The star of the game was Jonathan Taylor, 116 yards off 21 carries. Yeah, I'll be honest, I don't know now that I'm talking why I put this game as high up in the running order, because I definitely have more opinions about games below it. But, you know, it's here, and I can't be bothered to cut this out and move it, so we're just going to leave it at that. It was a very expected result, the Jaguars kept it close on the road against a side who are better, yeah, sure, fine, cool. The Jacksonville Jaguars are 2-7, and seven. they're third in the AFC South. The Indianapolis Colts are 5-5, five and five. they're second in the AFC South. Monday Night Football, Kansas City Chiefs 41, Las Vegas Raiders 14, and I knew this was going to happen. I've got Patrick Mahomes in my fantasy football side, and I... I've been wondering whether to drop him over the past few weeks because he's been having some awful games and Justin Herbert's been playing much better than him. And last week I was going to drop him, but I thought, hang on, I know the week that I drop him, Mahomes is going to have a wonderful game and throw for all of the yards and all of the touchdowns and suddenly he'll be back. And I feel like an idiot for dropping him for Herbert. But last week I was going to do it. I decided not to for that reason. But this week, after three shocking performances from Mahomes... I decided I had enough, and I benched Mahomes for Herbert. So how does Patrick Mahomes do as a as a nice little response to me doing that? Well, he goes 35 for 50, 408 yards, five touchdowns, a pass rating of 127.6. The Chiefs put up 41 points. They absolutely dominate against the Las Vegas Raiders. Meanwhile, Justin Herbert gets about 14 points. I lose my matchup. I knew, I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen as well. I just, it was just, it was so absolutely obvious that that is what was going to happen. And I, I knew it was going to, I saw it coming. And anyway, we'll be back in next week and he'll probably suck again. But yeah, Mahomes was the driving factor behind the Chiefs victory here against the Raiders. He was absolutely phenomenal. Travis Kelsey, the tight end, who I also dropped. The only thing that's annoyed me more is the Steelers game. 119 yards, Devil Williams 101 yards, Tyreek Hill 83 yards. The Chiefs offensively, you know, the Raiders been looking better on defense this year, and the loss of Damon Arnett clearly didn't really mean much for the Raiders. But still, the Raiders reasonable defense. The Chiefs just ripped them to shreds, and in response. Derek Carr had a reasonable game himself, but he couldn't get the Raiders going anywhere. 
and it didn't help that he didn't really have a ground game to speak off to assist him. The running backs only got 32 yards between them. It was just really, really difficult for the Raiders to seemingly do anything. And the Chiefs' defence have been quite suspect through parts of this season. So I really... I, I don't... I don't know what to say about this from a Raiders perspective. For the Chiefs, though, it's exactly what they needed in the week where they took control of the AFC West back from the Chargers. They needed the performance to show that they are who we thought they were at the start of the year. This was exactly that. And there couldn't be... There's a good chance this could be like the most transformative game an NFL team plays this season in terms of how... Their season was going beforehand where the Chiefs seemed to be in jeopardy and everyone was questioning everything and this future dynasty was being ripped apart at the seams. And now they look like their former selves. They need to build on this. As I still expect them to make the playoffs. They are, of course, leading the AFC West at the moment. And if they can build on this result, then they will once again be the Chiefs. We expected them to be at the start of the season. The Kansas City Chiefs are 6-4, and four, their first in the AFC West. The Las Vegas Raiders are 5-4, and four, their third in the AFC West. Los Angeles Rams 10, San Francisco 49ers 31. And if you weren't convinced quite yet as to how insane this week was, then this was your proof of final game of the week, obviously taking place on the Monday Night Football and I'll be honest, I sort of expected this almost because A, the week had been just weird anyway. But secondly, because the NFC West is the weirdest of the divisions at the moment and it has been all year. It's the most unpredictable and just the wildest for the most part. So as I sat there on Monday morning, I thought I could easily see the 49ers just running away with this and, and taking a comfortable victory. It didn't really surprise me when I when I heard on Tuesday morning that the 49ers had done so well. And to be honest, again, for me, it just seemed like one of them really weird games that comes out of nowhere, means nothing and just surprises you, and reading any more into Los Angeles Rams based on this performance, for me, would be just wrong. Again, I just think this is a really weird game. It doesn't prove Shanahan is the absolute best coach in the NFL. It doesn't prove that the Rams are going to tumble out of the playoffs entirely. It doesn't prove anything. It's just one of them games that comes along, acts weird for a bit, and then leaves, and then you forget about it, until you're looking back at the results in the off-season, and you go, oh, yeah. Oh yeah, the 49ers did beat the Rams 31-10. How strange. Matthew Stafford. The Stafford family didn't have a good day by any means because Matthew Stafford's wife was seen throwing pretzels at 49ers fans because, you know, that's a completely normal thing for a grown adult to do. She's apologised and called it a moment of weakness, but apparently the whole, the whole family was doing it for the entire game. So it was a very long moment. I would argue that at three hours... It's no longer a moment, it's an elongated period. But Matthew Stafford on the field didn't have a good game either. 26-41, for 41, 243 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, a pass rating of 67.4. Far, far, far worse than Jimmy Garoppolo's 15-19. for 19 efficient 182 yards two touchdowns and a pass rate of 141.7 by the way i forgot 
and I'm not I can't be bothered to edit it back into the podcast so I'm just going to say it now Brian Hoyer had a perfect passer rating because of course he had a perfect passer rating because this week was weird <laughs> he he came in late on to replace Mac Jones and he was the one who threw the touchdown to Jacoby Myers and he had a perfect passer rating I, I think he completed every pass he threw I might be wrong I'm not currently looking at the box score from that game I'm looking at the box score from the game I'm meant to be talking about Elijah Mitchell once again had a really good game he had them good games earlier on in the season I say early on in the season a couple of weeks ago against the Indianapolis Colts and the Chicago Bears and this was another really good game granted not as good as those games but he was taking on a much harder defense in the Los Angeles Rams I think I kept saying you know they're gonna they're gonna like climb up the rankings as the weeks go on. I don't know if they actually have, though. Having now just looked, in yards, they currently rank 24th on the season, which, you know, not great. And in points allowed, they ranked 18th. So they're definitely not the defence of the world last year. Maybe Brandon Staley leaving was absolutely catastrophic for them. But yeah... Garoppolo had a great game, Elijah Mitchell had a great game, Debo Samuel, a person who I did start in my fantasy side, see I'm not that stupid, I'm quite stupid when it comes to fantasy football, but not that stupid, 97 yards off 5 receptions, a really good game from him as well, and yeah, just one of them wild games you get in the NFL once in a while, and I'm not going to draw any other conclusions from it, because I just think it was a bit weird. The Los Angeles Rams are 7-3, they're second in the NFC West. The San Francisco 49ers are 4-5, they're third in the NFC West. Philadelphia Eagles 30, Denver Broncos 13. I thought this was going to be one of the closer games of the weekend and I was incorrect. Because, oh boy, was it not close in the end, to be honest. Jalen Hurts, by the way, who has been up and down this year, he had a wonderful game. 16 for 23, 178 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, a pass rate of 103.2. And to be honest, the Eagles sort of, I guess, didn't play well in the second, but that was about it. For me, the main star of this show is the Eagles' offense. So we talked about how good the Denver Broncos are as a defensive unit this year. They rank fifth in the league in points allowed. And the Eagles just really took it to them and they put in a very convincing performance on offense. Jalen Hurts played well, Jordan Howard played well, Boston Scott played well. Devonta Smith, he made a really seriously impressive catch in this game. Go and find it if you can, because it was phenomenal. For me, Devonta Smith right now is looking like a genuinely really good wide receiver. And there were questions about him coming out of the draft about his weight and whether he'd be able to you know, go toe-to-toe with some of the big boys in the NFL. But he's been doing it. He's been looking really impressive. He had a good game against one of my favourite defenders, Patrick Sertain, and I say that he's one of my favourite defenders because his nickname is PS2, and it reminds me of Ratchet and Clank, and it makes me nostalgic. But apart from that, Patrick Sertain is clearly a quite good cornerback, and Devonta Smith really did manage him quite well and got some really impressive grabs in this game. So, yeah, once you're able to really put up a lot of points against a really good Denver defence, that Denver offence is not going to be able to keep up with you, and this game proves it. 
That's kind of why I lent with the Eagles in the first place in last week's episode. And despite picking Eagles last week, I am still really impressed with how they did in this game. It was a very impressive result for them. The Philadelphia Eagles are 4-6. and six. They're second in the NFC East. The Denver Broncos are 5-5. Five and five. They're fourth in the AFC West. Seattle Seahawks, nil. Green Bay Packers, 17. It's not very often I use nil or zero in an NFL Blitz episode, but here we are. And, oh, good God, some people were correctly labelling this as a really intriguing game, a very exciting game that they wanted to watch because Russell Wilson was coming back from injury earlier than we expected and Aaron Rodgers, issues aside... Going up against him, two of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, going up against each other, and good God, did this game disappoint. The Packers scored 14 points in the fourth quarter. It's the first thing to know about this game. It was 3-0 entering the fourth quarter. Seven of them points were in garbage time, so it was um, after the two-minute warning, so it was 10-0 entering the two-minute warning. There's not much to say about a game like this, because... It was genuinely terrible. I'm pretty sure it's the first time ever as well that Russell Wilson has been shut out in an NFL game. So, you know, super. And he was atrocious. It's clear that you should not rush back from injury. And maybe that's not the key reason for you as to why the Seahawks didn't put up a single point in this game. But surely... Surely that's got to be a part of it. 20 for 40, 161 yards, two interceptions, a pass rating of 39.7. Good God. He did do well running the ball, because he had 6.4 yards per carry, but that was really about it. DK Metcalf kept getting into trouble. He was ejected partway through the game, then he was ejected again because he tried to sneak back into the huddle after he had been ejected, which was quite funny. But... That's really the only note from this game, and you could you praise the Packers all you want, but the fact is, they only put up 17 points against a defence that, you know, exists, I guess. They physically are on the field, but there's not many more compliments to give them, and to be honest, nobody else really stood out or deserves praise. I guess the Green Bay defence played well because they shut out a below-par Russell Wilson. Well done to them. The Seattle Seahawks are three and six. They're fourth in the NFC West. There's always next year. The Green Bay Packers are eight and two. They're first in the NFC North. Atlanta Falcons three. Dallas Cowboys forty-three. Yeah, yeah. I'll be honest. I expected the Falcons to get completely blown out of the water against Cowboys. It's why I made them my lock. I made the Cowboys my lock, not the Falcons. I'm not stupid. And um, I didn't expect this. I don't think anyone expected this because, Jesus Christ, this is being painted as a big victory for Dan Quinn against his former side. And I get that. I get why that's a very appealing headline. And he gets redemption against the Falcons, who he led to the most humiliating loss in the history of the National Football League. Yeah, good for you for getting your revenge on them. But this isn't that. The Falcons didn't lose because Dan Quinn has all the secrets for shutting down Matt Ryan. The Falcons lost, and they lost by 40 points because everything was dreadful. 
They were the problem. They were the reason they lost. Honestly, I think Dan Quinn could have not shown up. The score wouldn't have been significantly different. He helped. Of course he helped. But, to be honest, I think this loss is entirely on Atlanta. It's not that the Cowboys were so, so, so much better that they... It's not that the Cowboys were so, so, so godlike that they just completely flattered the Falcons and even if the Falcons had played perfectly, they would have lost. No, this was the Falcons genuinely being dreadful. Let's talk about Matt Ryan. 9 for 21, 117 yards, 2 interceptions, a pass rating of 21.4. On the basis of pass rating, which I get is not a perfect metric, but it is a reliable metric. On the basis of pass rating, he was the 34th best quarterback this week. And that's only based on this week's games. 34th best. There are 32 teams in the NFL. Four of them were on a bye week. Which means there were only 28 starting quarterbacks this week. Matt Ryan finished 34th in passer rating. There were substitutes who came on who had a better day than Matt Ryan. One of them being Cooper Rush who went 3 for 3, had a pass rating of 90.3. Dak Prescott played phenomenally. 24-31, 296 yards, two touchdowns, a pass rating of 127.9. I don't know what to say about that. Matt Ryan is a really good quarterback. Matt Ryan has won the MVP. Matt Ryan has taken his side to the Super Bowl under Dan Quinn, which they lost in the most humiliating way possible. You can't just say good defence to explain... Why a quarterback as highly skilled as Matt Ryan has a game like that? You just can't. There is more to it, and the more to it is how dreadful everyone on the Falcons was. Ryan himself included. This was a. It's not like he was playing really well, but oh, everyone kept dropping really easy passes. No, the O-line was non-existent. He didn't really have much of a run game. Cordaro Patterson ran the ball four times. Good for Cordaro Patterson. Everything went wrong on both sides of the ball. And of course, the most humiliating part of this entire game for me, bearing in mind, Dan Quinn is the defensive coordinator for the Cowboys. They went up 28-3. to 28-3. Yep, that score. Again. It's almost like the NFL gods are now taunting Atlanta. If they, if they were real physical beings, the NFL would have fined them excessively like they find Cassius March for no reason whatsoever. It's it's honestly, I, I feel so sorry for Falcons fans at this point. The only good thing they've got in years upon years upon years of NFL loyal fandom is a secret base documentary. That's it. That's all the Falcons get, apparently. They don't get anything else. Of course, they do still get weird. They get weird football because... Partway through this game, the Dallas Cowboys decided to go for a two-point conversion. And that wouldn't be weird in and of itself, except for the fact that the Dallas Cowboys decided to go for a two-point conversion up 34-3. to They were up 31 points before they went for the two-point conversion. There's only one other team in the history of the NFL who have conceded a two-point conversion whilst down over 30 points. And congratulations for guessing, 
it was the Atlanta Falcons. Because this is what the Atlanta Falcons are. They're just weird. In a week of weird, they managed to be weirder than everyone else. This was just humiliating on every single level, from Dan Quinn to 28-3, to Matt Ryan having the worst quarterbacking performance of the week. Technically, Josh Rosen came in and had a passive rating of none, but he only had like six attempts, so it doesn't really count. From everything that happened in this game, it was just pure humiliation and suffering for Falcons fans. I'm so impressed that they can keep following this on a weekly basis. It shows just how good the Falcons fan base are. I don't know what to say. It's not going to get better anytime soon. The Atlanta Falcons are 4-5. and five. They're 4th in the NFC South. The Dallas Cowboys are 7-2. They're 1st in the NFC East. Final game to talk about then. Buffalo Bills 45, New York Jets 17. Do you remember that time last week where Mike White said he should have been 1st overall pick? Yeah, me too. I think he's, uh, he's proven that to be false. The, the thing about the Mike White drama last week... When people were going, oh, there could be a quarterback controversy in New York. He'd beaten the Bengals, yes. And he'd done really well against the Colts, yes. But both of them were middling defences. And this week he was going up against the Buffalo Bills, who are first in points allowed defensively, first in yards allowed, and first in DVOA. So this was an actual defensive challenge. If he'd come out of this looking really good, then yes. Then there would have been a quarterback controversy. Did he come out of this game looking good? No. No, he didn't. 24-44, 251 yards, 4 interceptions, a pass rating of 33.4. Still not as bad as Matt Ryan. But I'm going to stop making Falcons fans feel bad at this point. And it's not like all of those interceptions were deflected passes. In fact, all of them were just truly bad throws. The first interception in particular was just atrocious it was genuinely terrible and the game didn't get much better from there josh allen had a great game 125.6 passer rating he played really well the whole bills offense played really well this game was predictable i thought mike white maybe could shift the balance of power towards the jets because even i'll i'll admit i did have more faith in him than, than this result. If you'd asked me to guess what his passer rating would have been at the start of the week, I would have said probably about 85 to 95. In fact, no, I would have said 90 to 100. You know, all right, against the best defense in the NFL. But no, no, he didn't do that. He played atrociously. Joe Flacco came in, had a perfect passer rating on three passes. No one cares. It was in garbage time, which is when... The Jets scored 14 of their 17 points. This game was pointless and to be honest, it once again shows that Jets fans just aren't allowed to have optimism ever. Because it will just come back and destroy them. The Buffalo Bills are 6-3, their first in the AFC East. The New York Jets are 2-7, their fourth in the AFC East. Now, the next part of my document tells me that I'm meant to go through the prediction scores at this point, but honestly, I don't want to, because, <laughs> good God, they, they, they were bad. And I had the best scores this week, and mine were bad, so everyone else did even worse. I won this week with a prediction score of 7 and 6. 
I should stress that when there is a tie, we just don't count it. We do what people should do with ties. They, we, we completely ignore them. That's what we're doing here. So I won this week with a 7-6 record. And you might think that's not very good, but good God was it better than Josh and Will, who you, you might remember from ages ago. But Josh went 5-8, and eight, as did Will. Both went 5-8. and eight. Great. So, overall scores, I lead on 149. Did get my 100th pick in week 10, which I really want, because that means I get 10 right per week, which is impressive. So I've hit my 100th, 149. Will is second on 87 and 62. Josh is third on 78 and 71. In the lock battle, we had an incorrect lock. Will locked the Buccaneers against Washington. He drops down to 8 and 2. Josh was right in saying the Bills would beat the Jets. He goes to 8 and 1. And I was right in saying the Cowboys would beat the Falcons. I go to 9 and 1. Time to go into the power rankings then, and there is a new side at number one. By the way, you can read these on the Sports Blitz website. I'm going to put the Tennessee Titans in first. It wasn't a very impressive win on paper against the Trevor Simeon-led Saints, but when you consider that they've still not got Derrick Henry and won't have for the rest of the season, that is still a really impressive performance for them. They've won eight in a row. They're looking like they can win games without Derrick Henry. Whether that will matter at the end of the season... We don't know, but at the moment, they do look like the best team in the NFL. Second, the Arizona Cardinals' four-week run at number one comes to an end after losing quite comfortably to the Carolina Panthers, showing that their injuries are actually affecting them, which they didn't do last week. Third, the Los Angeles Chargers. They lost to the Vikings, but they still got up one place because this week was weird. Because the Vikings are actually a reasonably good side, and compared to other losses this week, this actually wasn't that devastating. Fourth, the Buffalo Bills go up from 10th place back into fourth. We'll get on to the Jets later on, but the Bills did exactly what you expect them to do. They put that very bad loss against Jacksonville behind them, and came back fighting against the Jets, a really decisive victory. Fifth, the Los Angeles Rams, who would normally actually fall down places after such a big loss but this time the NFL was weird and I decided not to move them down any places at all because it was against 49 side but are at least somewhat good okay at the other end the Atlanta Falcons are in 28th they dropped 10 places after losing like that to the Cowboys it might be the most humiliating result any team have had this season Bar the Lions drawing 16 all with the Steelers and the Steelers drawing 16 all with the Lions. So, yeah, great performance all round for the Falcons. Just depressing. 29 for Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, a close loss to the Colts. Who cares? Move on. 30th for New York Jets. Mike quite probably shouldn't have been the first overall pick because he completely floundered against an actual defense. Turns out playing against actual defense is sort of really good. It's harder than playing against the Colts. And, yeah, it was just an ugly game all around for the Jets. No one played well. 31st for Houston Texans won a bye. 32nd. If you're drawing against such a wounded side who are just trying to desperately give you the victory, then you deserve nothing but scorn. The Detroit Lions still in last place. 
Okay, it's time to quickly go through all games in week 11 of the NFL season. I'll be predicting as I go along, and when I come to one team who I think are guaranteed to win, I'll be locking that team up. I can only do this once per week. The Denver Broncos and Los Angeles Rams are on a bye this week, so my main game, and you might think I'm a bit crazy, but I, I'm hoping Kyler Murray's going to be back for it. I'm going to go with Arizona Cardinals at Seattle Seahawks. Both sides desperately need a bounce-back win. The Cardinals obviously struggled with all their injuries against the Carolina Panthers. They're going up against an easier defence this week in the Seattle Seahawks. And of course, we are hoping and praying that Kyler Murray is going to be back for this game. The Seattle Seahawks just need to show signs of life. Kick a field goal, honestly. It'll be a success. And while the Cardinals' defence have lost players... Both sides of the ball are injured, and yeah, they're still a top 10 defense, so it is going to be a big challenge. They don't currently rank ahead of the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers rank fourth in points allowed, and can you tell I'm reading this off the cuff? Sixth in yards, so it is a slightly easier defense, though it's still going to be a big challenge. And remember, they put up no points against the Packers. So that does mean the only way is up, though. Fingers crossed, Kyler Murray will be back for this game. Because if not, then this really will not be the best game of the week. The 8-2 and two Arizona Cardinals travel to the 3-6 and six Seattle Seahawks. I'm taking a Cardinals win. Even if Kyler Murray doesn't start, I might change my prediction if Kyler doesn't start. But still, I'm not sure about Seattle. Cincinnati Bengals at Las Vegas Raiders. Another two sides who need a bounce-back performance. Obviously, the Bengals didn't play in Week 10. They had a chance to recover, but the week before, they were comfortably annihilated by the Cleveland Browns, who were comfortably annihilated by the New England Patriots. The Raiders were also comfortably annihilated last week by the Kansas City Chiefs. So, both sides really looking for a bounce-back performance. Both sides on 5-4. and four. Both sides have a chance to win their division. And both sides have good quarterbacks so if they play to their potential this will be a really good back and forth game if they play like they did last week it will be like the Lions Steelers game and nobody wants that so please don't do that the five and four Cincinnati Bengals travels for five and four Las Vegas Raiders I'm taking a right now Cincinnati win just about Really could go either way, and I could flip-flop on that pick, as I am known to do from time to time. Dallas Cowboys at Kansas City Chiefs. All of the games I've picked so far have been in the late window. In fact, there are only three games in the late window, and I've picked all of them. So, at least Sunday night, 9 o'clock, is going to be really good, well, just after 9 o'clock. The Cowboys have comfortably dismantled the Atlanta Falcons, but the Chiefs are a tad bit more competent than them. And the Chiefs last week comfortably demolished the Las Vegas Raiders. So two sides coming on into this game off and high. Two quarterbacks who are really good and really good for your fantasy side unless you bench them because they've been bad for three weeks and live away up and do really well. Thanks for that, Patrick. And then, again, kind of like the Bengals Raiders game, it should be a really good back and forth game. Both sides significantly better on offense than they are on defense, and that usually means fireworks. The 7-2 Dallas Cowboys travel to the 6-4 Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know why I've got so much optimism in Kansas half the time, but I'm taking a Chiefs win. I say that I benched Patrick Mahomes last week. You might have been able to guess I've mentioned it 20 times on the podcast so far. Final game to go into 
in, I've not really gone into them in depth, have I? But Green Bay Packers and Minnesota Vikings, two quarterbacks who have opinions and should probably actually consult proper doctors about them opinions. Two quarterbacks who have lost sponsorships with hospitals because of those opinions. You know, that's what happens when you say smart things, remember? Morons. Anyway, apart from the, you know, incredibly stupid positions of quarterbacks who are playing in this game, it's a traditional NFC North rivalry. The Vikings are better than their record suggests. The Packers maybe aren't as good as their record suggests. And so... It should be a really close game, and with it being an NFC North rivalry, it will be a very feisty game anyway. I do expect, I expect this to be quite an interesting game. Actually, in keeping with my tradition of just forgetting to talk about things during the game, I was meant to talk about the Packers' chairs during my view of their, their game, and... You might know that from almost the beginning of the team's existence, fans have had the chance to buy shares in the Green Bay Packers and become an owner. And that's always been a really exciting concept to me. As somebody who's a big fan of fan ownership in European football, and the 50 plus 1 rule in European football, I really like that. However, I don't like how the Packers have executed it because they've announced... Earlier this week, that they were going to allow fans to buy shares at $300 a pop. And it turns out, when you read the fine print, that not only are these actually legally not shares, it's just like a piece of paper and you get to say, I'm an owner of the Green Bay Packers. They're not legally shares. And also, there is a clause in the contract that you sign when buying these shares that says that if you criticise the NFL or the Green Bay Packers, or the NFL, or Roger Goodell, then you can have your shares revoked. And you can have a hefty fine. No. This is not how being a good organisation works. It stuns me that the NFL genuinely think that people weren't going to notice this. It's If I was the commissioner right now, if I was sat there and I was the commissioner of the NFL and I heard about this happening, I would be going berserk i would be going berserk i would have also released the findings of the washington football team investigation but hey that's just me being morally better um and yeah i would i would be absolutely berserk about this and clearly the nfl are not berserk about this and clearly the nfl just like to make incorrect decisions it's kind of like Goodall and the other big nfl officials wake up and go how can we be wrong today because you have this, you have the Washington investigation, you have Cassius March taunting nonsense. And every t- every week, every day, it feels like there's just something else to moan about in the NFL. And I just, I don't get how they could have been this stupid as to put that stipulation in. Do not buy shares in the Green Bay Packers if you're a Packers fan. Because that is truly a ridiculous stipulation. Anyway, game should be good. <laughs> Fingers crossed it'll be good because then it'll distract from all the other nonsense that the NFL are doing. Probably not. The 8-2 Green Bay Packers travel to the 4-5 Minnesota Vikings. I'm taking a Packers win. Only just to, like I said, I think it's going to be a close game. Let's go through all the other games in chronological order then, and we're going to start, therefore, with the Thursday night football New England Patriots at Atlanta Falcons. 
Mmm. Right. To the Patriots last week, absolutely smacked the Browns. And the Browns are a better side than the Falcons, who got smacked by the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. I mean, I'm so close to locking this, you know. I'm so close to locking this. I truly can't see how the Falcons have a chance. But then again, the NFL has been a bit just insane recently. So I think actually what's going to happen is Matt Ryan's going to come out and have a perfect pass of 18. They'll win 50 nil. In fact, they'll win 51 nil. Or they'll, or the Patriots will be 28 to 3 up and then Matt Ryan will execute a fantastic comeback and it'll be meaningless because it's not the Super Bowl. <laughs> Either way, the 6 and 4 New England Patriots travel to the 4 and 5 Atlanta Falcons. I'm doing it. I'm locking Patriots. I just, I don't see any way the Falcons win this. The 5-5 and Indianapolis Colts travel to the 6-3 Buffalo Bills. Well, the Bills stamped over Mike White last week. And I'll be honest, I don't think Carson Wentz is significantly better than him. So I'm going to take a Bills win. The 6-3 Baltimore Ravens travel to the 3-6 Chicago Bears. Maybe the AFC North will have a better week this week. Or maybe the Bears will win 14-0 either way. I'm going to take a Baltimore win. The 0-8-1 Detroit Lions travel to the 5-5 Cleveland Browns. This could easily be lock of the week as well. But I'm going to take a Browns victory because they're not useless and rudderless like the Steelers were last week. Still annoys me. Let's hope Big Ben's back this week, because otherwise we're going to lose 60-0. 1-8, Houston Texans travelling to the 8-2 Tennessee Titans. Another great lock opportunity. I am going to take a Titans win, but I don't know. Davis Mills could come out and have a really good game. And if, Will he be playing or will he be Tyler Taylor? I don't know, but after how Tyler Taylor did against the Dolphins, really should consider bringing Davis Mills back. Speaking of the Dolphins, the 3-7 Miami Dolphins travel to the 2-7. New York Jets. I don't know if Mike White or Zach Wilson's playing here, but with how Mammy's defense is now back to normal, I also don't care. I'm taking a Dolphins win. The five and four New Orleans Saints traveling to the four and six Philadelphia Eagles. If this was a full strength game, then I would probably pick the Saints. But like I said, I'm really optimistic about the Eagles. Offense going forward, and with that in mind, I think Nick Sirianni is going to get his first win at the link. I'm going to take an Eagles win. The three and six Washington football team traveling to the five and five Carolina Panthers. The Panthers have a good defense. Washington wish they had a good defense again. Trace Young is out for, for the season. They're doomed. I'm taking a Panthers win. Four and five San Francisco 49ers traveling to the two and seven Jacksonville Jaguars. Obviously, taking a 49ers win. Sunday night football, the 5-3-1 Pittsburgh Steelers travelling to the 5-4 Los Angeles Chargers. If Ben Roethlisberger plays, then the Steelers have a chance. If Ben Roethlisberger doesn't, then the Chargers will win 50-0. Either way, the Steelers injury list will still be quite severe. I don't know if you've seen it online, but it makes me want to cry. And that's why I'm not going to read it out, because I will probably burst into tears. <laughs> uh, no, I, won't. I just don't have the tweet up. Um, and I don't want to read it again. It's genuinely terrible. But either way, the Chargers are going to win this one. And then finally, Monday Night Football is the 3-6 New York Giants against the 6-3 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Eli will be there, but he'll be on the ESPN broadcast and not playing against Tom Brady, which is why Tom Brady actually has a chance this time. Danny Dimes cannot play in prime time. That is perfectly clear. And that is why I'm going for a pretty convincing Tampa win.
Anyway, that's all the games from week 11 then, and that is all the time we have on this episode of the NFL Blitz. Thank you for listening today. We'll be back next week to review all games from week 11 of the NFL season. Until then, I've been Alex Woodward, and don't just have a good week like the best player in NFL history, having Matt Phillip 1. Goodbye.